Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher bakarbanu mikol hamim, Venatan lanu et torato, Baruch atah Adonai, Noten haTorah. Amen. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, may you grant us eyes to see and ears to hear from your fiery Torah. May you transform us and renew us by your Spirit. In the merit of Mashiach Yeshua, Amen. May this podcast be to the Rafua Shlema of Esther Markovitz and for Rafua Shlema for any of our fellow Lapidniks that are in need of a Rafua. Amen. Well, Shalom Aleichem, everybody. It is the final Torah portion of Shemot. And so far this week, it's been actually a very interesting week. I need to take account of it. Uh, just kidding, because, you know, Parsha Pekude taking accounting. But, uh, you know, so no, you get it to the Romans this week. So leaving Rome for a little bit and no Haftarah. So I'm very, very sad. But, you know, Gamzu. Because, you know, that's just how we roll. Hashem has a better plan for everything that we think in our own human minds. As well as I want to bring up some exciting news that uh, the incredible Talmud and I, Bezrat Hashem, will start digging into these Torah portions and uh, really just going to town and tearing stuff up. So, um, Bezrat Hashem, we will um, resume with that. Uh, as we enter into the Sefer of Vayikra, starting with Parsha Vayikra. So, Bazar Hashem, we'll get that going, and uh, I look forward to doing that, because I just love my fellow Avengers. And while I am shouting out fellow Avengers, good night. So, we have basically the Zadaka League, right? Because, you know, we had to bring in the DC Universe. And uh, we have Shomer versions of pretty much everybody in the Justice League, we don't have a Flash yet, so whenever he appears, that would be cool. Um, and yeah, so anyway, uh, with that being said, I just wanted to shout out to Ish and Isha Ma'ale. That is Superman and Superwoman. And they are just killing it on their podcast called It's Super Time. And you can find them on Anchor. It's uh, The Weavers. So that would be Sarah Weaver. You can look her up on there. And um, also, we just, I just found out from the captain, Captain Yisrael, that is, that we have Lapidniks on anchor, like, all the way up in the Middle East, or Midwest up here. Midwest, Mid-East of, of the United States, not the Middle East of, like, overseas. But anyway, that is James and Gianna. And shouts out to y'all. Good night. I just listened to the first of their two episodes, and I'm just like mind blown just connecting dots like it's so ridiculous you know when people say that you know oh that's just rabbinic stuff or or that's just traditions of man or you know stuff like oh yeah no conversion is legit these days so don't even worry about it just you know be a stay a goy you know and it's just like they took all of that and just went to town so i can only imagine what they did on the second episode. But anyway, you can find them on Anchor as well. That's James and Gianna. And uh, so, shouts out to Captain Yisrael, a.k.a. Rabbi, Rabbi Griffin, for bringing that to my attention. And Bezrat Hashem bringing it to y'all's attention. 
because y'all need to check that out. There's some amazing, amazing things. Um, this is the age of superheroes, and uh, we need it because we want Mashiach to return like yesterday. Uh, so other than just asking Hashem and really just pouring out our hearts and doing whatever we can to hasten his return, that's the plan. That's the goal. That's what we're doing. And nothing is quicker to uh, ask Hashem to send Mashiach again uh, is um, there's nothing quicker than being people of Ahavat Kinam, which is baseless love and being filled and overflowing and teaching Lashon Kodesh, which is holy language, holy tongue. So, yes, speaking in tongues um, and also just talking about Mashiach. I mean, his return, you know, looking forward to the redemption, praying to end this current exile. You know, we can make that a prayer, you know, because if you really think about your day to day, what's happening, you know, life is not supposed to be like this. Really, when it comes to the final redemption and understanding what it's like to not be in exile, like this is barely scratching the surface. Now, I'm not knocking that, you know, there's not things that are awesome and beautiful about now, but just know this, we're missing out on an open manifestation of the Shekinah of Hashem in the world. We're missing out on spiritual and moral leadership all in one package in the whole entire world. We're missing out on all of Yisrael being in the land that supercharges us for being a light of Torah to the nations. There is one thing about us being lights all across the world, but what we're actually supposed to do is have our home base in Yisrael, like city up on a hill kind of thing. And that light is going to be so bright that it shines all throughout the globe. And yes, I do say globe. Um, I'm going to sidetrack myself real quick because for the very first time in my 32 years of living, someone asked me about the world being flat, the earth specifically, and that other planets are possibly flat and, you know, all the different uh, mindsets that go with that. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, Rabbi Griffin's just, you know, clearing the air, you know, about the whole you know, flat earth thing and clearing the air about the whole virgin birth thing. And I'm just kind of like, wow, people don't really think like that. And it's like, oh, yes, they do more than, you know, and it's just kind of like, wow. So, um, yeah. So anyway, that happened to me today and it was just kind of awkward. So the reason I brought that up is because I was talking about the earth. So anyway, the earth is round was kind of the short of what I wanted to bring that up for. Anyway, but when we're in Israel, it's literally like Superman being in the Fortress of Solitude and like Superman, like in outer space next to the sun. Like, in other words, what I'm trying to say is very terrible uh, analogies, but shouts out to Superman again. Anyway, um, you know, we get supercharged up and it's like the perfect climate for like Judaism, 
You know, like that's why the whole thing about us being kicked out of the land is such a big problem. And uh, yeah, so anyway, there's that. So we can be praying to end this exile. The other thing and the final thing that I really want to stress on this whole hastening the coming of Mashiach is making proselytes. Now, I know we t- I talk- told you about, you know, uh, James and Gianna talking about they found something that was saying, you know, there is no legit conversions and all this kind of stuff. And what they had to say about that, it was such a beautiful thing. So, yes, I'm building up hype right now. You need to check them out. Um, and yes, uh, James is J-A-M-E-S and Gianna, J-E-A-N-A-Y-A. So, yeah, Gianna, get you some. Okay. So anyway, they are legit. They are Lapid and it's like they need to get some help. Yes, just like the other people in Lapid. They all need to get some help. But um, anyway, making proselytes is kind of like the thing that Mashiach told us to do. It's commonly known as the Great Commission. So, yeah. So, I mean, if you really look throughout the rest of the canon of the current uh Basora and the historical account and letters section of the common Bible, if you just look at that from a mindset of go out and make proselytes, you really see how that developed. And you see there was a lot of persecution, a lot of suppression that was going on. And yes, we are doing, we're undergoing persecution and suppression today because guess what? Have you ever talked to anyone about converting, you know, or talk to your family, maybe talk to some of your friends you grew up with and all the disowning and the, uh, the things that are just in your face, like, Hey, don't you want to come over for dinner? And it's just like, no, not exactly. Um, or I'll bring my food, you know, kind of thing. And the response that you get for that. And then it's just kind of like, Oh, don't worry about me. And it's just like, no, I made something for you. And it's just like, yeah, but you know I don't eat pork. And it's like, it's not pork, it's Canadian bacon. It's just like, you clearly don't understand what pork is, or do you? And it's just like, it's just weird stuff like that. Or, you know, you just say, oh, you know, I'll just uh, I'll just take some fish. And it's just kind of like, they'll throw extra stuff in there that just don't make any sense. Like, you know, pork or something like that. I don't know. Just reaching for stuff right now. But anyway... Uh, without further delay, uh, just we need to make proselytes. We need to love one another, like for real love one another, like community, like Rabbi Griffin was talking about in the Aliyah a day uh, for like pretty much every single podcast this week so far for Pakude. So uh, and yeah, let's be people of Lashon Kodesh. Let's remove Lashon Hara from our, our core, from our being, be far away from it, uh, burn it up, throw it out to the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because ain't nobody got time for that. If it ain't good, if it ain't positive, if it ain't edifying, we don't speak it and we don't need it. Okay? All right. Baruch Hashem. So, Parsha Pekude, closing it out. This is going to be par- uh, Parsha Pekude drop zone just because, um, yeah. That's what it's going to be. Anyway, so first thing I want to start with is Pekude. So, you know, in our opening verse this week of Pekude, 3821 of Shemot, Pekude has to do with taking an accounting. These are the accounts 
of the Mishkan, right? So all of that is going on. So first thing to note, Pekude, Pei, Kuf, Vav, uh, I'm trying to, okay, anyway, I'm trying to uh, figure out what else this word says, because you know, I always break the letters apart and stuff like that. I do see the letter Yod, um, because the, the way you spell Yod, by the way, is Yod, Vav, Dalit, okay, and um, that actually has the gematria of 20, Okay, so literally Yod is actually 10 by itself, but if you spell it out, it's actually 20, which is interesting because it's like, really, when you think about the Yod, there's two. And it's just like, yeah, like the two Mashiachs, because the Yod represents the hand and there's two hands. And it's like, oh, that's why we have two hands. There's probably way more than that, but I'm just swerving. All right. Anyway, get I guess get used to that because it's probably be a lot of swerving, but I'll try to keep it to a minimum. All right. Anyway, back to Pakude, how you actually spell the word. Pei, Kuf, Vav, Dalit, Yod. Uh, and the other thing, I said I wasn't going to do this. Okay, so the other way you spell uh, Kuf is Kuf, Vav, Pei, or Fei, which is actually the first three letters of Pakude. So literally you have the Kuf, Yod, the holy hand, if you really look at what this word is, if you break it apart. Um, so that's interesting. And, uh, you also have die, which is the Dalit Yod, which means enough as in Shaddai, you know, uh, it is sufficient, the sufficient one. And, um, so anyway, so when you look at that whole word together from Pei Kuvav Dalit Yod, the Gematria is 200. Now, 200. The first gematria that pops up is Ain Sadi Mem. That, my friends, is the word for bones and the word for essence, as in Etzem or Adzmot uh, or Adzem, which will be a better way to say bone, Slika. Uh, so bone and essence have the same root word. And uh, that is pretty much what Pakude is. So if you look at that gematria of bone or essence, you can kind of get a picture of what is actually going on. Because, again, uh, so to, I'm just really tagging off of lamb backing is, is our kosher term we say around here. Uh, lamb backing off of Rabbi Griffin's podcast where he talked about this part, this parsha from the Kehot. Humash, the overview, is saying that we are important as a whole and as individuals, and it's simultaneous that we are accounted for. And that's what Pakude is, is talking about really erecting the Mishkan, but it's like, but here are all the parts. And the parts are equal to the whole, and the whole is equal to the parts. So is it a corporate salvation or is it an individual salvation? Is it a corporate people or is it an individual person? Yes. This is a bigger picture for us to understand how Mashiach is Israel and Israel is Mashiach. So uh, you kind of see this whole idea of everything that holds up the Mishkan. Which, by the way, it's important to know that the Mishkan technically shouldn't hold itself up because, I mean, 
if you think about what's actually involved, the weight of all the gold and all the hooks and the hangings and all this uh, connecting set, I mean, it's like a giant Lego tent, uh, for lack of a better term. You know, there's all these sockets and inserts and all this kind of thing. And then there's fire everywhere, like from the altar in the courtyard to the fire in the inside of the tent and then there's a pillar of fire over the top of it when it's night and it's just like this thing should just be a fire hazard it should blow over with any kind of wind and it's just kind of like oh but there's this whole thing called Hashem and there's this this one called Hashem literally because Hashem is a chad, right? So there's this whole Hashemness about the, the Mishkan that's amazing, you know, because remember, everything is surrounded by the clouds of glory. So there's a perfect environment here that we're looking at where it's neither day nor night, but yet we have pillars of fire to tell us when it's night and we have a cloud pillar to tell us when it's day, just like in the ark, you know, uh, Rabbi Griffin brought this up too. So Pretty much, if you hear a repeat of everything, um, I mean, this is just basically, this is the layout, you know. I don't teach anything different than what he teaches, so that's my rabbi. So, uh, I guess there's no copyright uh, issues. But anyway, I'm not sharing anything new, I guess is what I'm getting at. So, because uh, he brought up the fact that, go back to the Ark of Noach, that inside the Ark, that you know, how could they tell when it was day or night? There was a Zohar stone. The stone was called Zohar and it was a, a light. It was also a window. Um, I believe Rabbeinu Bakya or one of the Midrashim uh, went into this whole uh, concept about a stone and a window and an opening. And it's just like the answer was yes. So that's what the Zohar was. And it's just kind of like, wow. But anyway, that stone was able to say when it was day and night because they didn't have a way otherwise because the the skies were overcast with all the rain. I mean, we're talking 40 days and 40 nights of rain. And it's just like, how do we know it was daytime? How do we know it was night? It's raining outside and it's dark outside. So that's the same thing we're looking at here with the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. Uh, the other thing to note is this is kind of a bone of the Pesach because when you look at the builder of the Mishkan, which is Betzalel, his gematria is equal to Ha Pesach, which is ridiculous. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a, I, there's the understanding, the actual mitzvah is that the bone of the Pesach is not to be broken. Like, you can't break any of the bones of the Pesach. But you are to roast it over an upper fire, eat it, make sure nothing's left over for in the morning. You know, parsha, both stuff, right? Anyway, um, so yeah, so you got this whole idea of nothing of the Mishkan is to be broken. And this is why, again, Rabbi Griffin said this. Okay, just pretty much know Rabbi Griffin probably said everything I'm about to say. Including the fact that some of the stuff I'm going to bring up from the Zohar with the help of Hashem, I literally, 24 hours before he did his podcast, um, I had that codified in my notes. And somehow, from a different source, he brought up the same information. So, I don't know what's up with that, but I'm uh, just kidding. 
it's uh, it's called Tachelit Tooth, Bluetooth, and uh, that's what the Ruach Kodesh is. So Brukashim. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah, nothing of the Mishkan is to be destroyed, and the Mishkan was not destroyed. And by the way, the Mishkan is currently somewhere in this world, concealed and hidden. And what do we talk about on Shabbat? Uh, and we, actually, we say this in our Kavanah prayer that says, for the sake of the unification of the Holy One, blesses He, right? Well, that kind of gets expounded upon during Shabbat, especially when we do the uh, Atkenu Seudata, the invitation to the meal, where we say uh, things like we invite the ancient Holy One to this feast. You know, we have one for Erev, we have one for third meal. Well, specifically from the Erev, there's this phrase. It says, ancient holiest of all holy, most hidden of all hidden, who is concealed from all. Yeah. So think about that with the Mishkan, because the word Mishkan connotates dwelling, drawing near. And there was nothing more telling than Mashiach having his dwelling with us, tabernacling with us, literally Mishkaning with us. And now he's hidden. Specifically, when you look at the fact of him ascending into the clouds, it says he was concealed from our eyes. And then two angels showed up, like the two angels that are on the top of the ark uh, cover. And they were like talking and stuff because that's where the voice of Hashem comes from. And it's just like, what are you looking at? Uh, go do what he said. Do stop standing here. He'll return the same way he, he left. So there's all that. Anyway, that's Acts and the end of Luke and all sorts of stuff. So Hashem. So that's the bone, the backbone, so to speak, of what's going on. The whole idea that this won't be broken. And obviously the essence is, you know, the presence of Hashem dwelling among us. Because after we committed the golden calf, after we sinned and fallen short of the glorious standard of Hashem, i.e. we said, not save a nishman, then we were like, to a calf, not to you. And Hashem was like, well, I take everything away now. Goodbye. And it was like, okay. Moshe got to go up the mountain and intercede for us and bring the Shekinah back because we lost it all. And it's just like, OK, well, I won't be able to give it directly to you until Mashiach comes. But in the meantime, here's a second set of tablets that are on a lesser sanctity than the first ones. But they are the same content. OK, but it will be renewed you know, with the coming of Mashiach. So there's all that. So what was external will be internal. And that's the whole difference about the renewal of the covenant as opposed to a new covenant or old covenant. It's the same covenant. It's one covenant. It's just what's going to, what's it going to be? Is it like it was before where it was external and, you know, we had to put it on like a garment? Or is it that we're raised anew to life, like resurrected from the dead, you know, into our new a form that's imperishable and that the Torah is inside of us and the Yetzirah is removed from us. So that that's the ultimate epitome of the renewal of the covenant. And not to mention that the Torah will be rearranged back to its primordial form as it was in the garden before we ate from the tree. So with all that being said, you can get the understanding about how this is the essence of Hashem. 
Now, um, the other thing that I want to bring up about the Gamatria of Pacude is that I closed my file on that. Okay, so I guess we're done. That's enough of 200, I guess. All right, Brugashem. So I'm going to jump over to the Targum because that's been my new friend. By the way, if any of you haven't been listening to the Get It to the Roman series, um, just to kind of give you a snapshot, I basically break down some of the Hebrew by using the dictionary of the Targum, like I'm about to do now. So here we go. So first of all, there's all these different uh, definitions for the root of Pekude, which comes from Pekuf Dalit. Okay, and when you look at Pekuf Dalit, that's the word Pekad or Pekod. And um, the first definition that you see here, it says to search or to examine. And then it gets real personal. It says to visit, i.e. a euphemism for having marital connection. So think about that with, with Hashem saying, I'm going to uh, have you take account of everything with the Mishkan. Because, you know, Yisrael is like our, is the bride of Hashem. So, yeah, so Hashem is visiting us and there's this whole thing where we're underneath clouds like a hoopah, you know, and he's covering us and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, but moving on, it says that it also means to visit or remember, like remembering Abraham and Sarah when they were uh, in need of having children because they didn't have any, and Hashem was like, oh, yeah, you're going to have a child. And it's just like, uh, yeah, about that. I'm 99, he's 100, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Or I'm 90, and he's 100, you know, that whole kind of thing. And then um, it also is used the same uh, phrase for visiting Hana, or Hana, which is the mother of Shamuel, one of the big time prophets, the one who anointed Melech David. Uh, the other thing, it also can mean command or store up. And to give in charge to command or commission. And it also means to be commanded. So if you really look at that, where I want to take you, this is compliments of G Shekel putting everything so beautifully together because he's bringing down some Midrash Rabbah and some Midrash Gadol and some Parsha Vayaki. So yes, going all the way back to Bereshit, uh, chapter, or chapter 50, verse 24, it says, I am about to die and God will remember you and bring you up from this land to the land which he swore about to Abraham, to Yitzhak and to Yaakov. So Midrash Gadol, and you can cross-reference Shemot 1319. So again, Parsha Bo, here we go. It says, this is from the Midrash Gadol 50, verse 24. So basically Midrash Gadol on Bereshi 5024. It says, his words, Pakod Yifkod, which is God will remember you. It's a double use of the word Pakod. As in our word pakude. It says they were not only his parting words, but the very words that Moshe later used to announce the redemption that Yosef had foretold. 
Notice who's announcing the redemption? Moshe. Moshe is a euphemism for Torah because the Torah was given through Moshe, right? So I'm going with this is that if we're expecting the return of Mashiach Yeshua without being Torah observant, we're creating a, a high impedance air gap is what we're going to call that, which just basically means there's a disconnect. There's no way to anticipate the return of Mashiach Yeshua if it's not through Moshe. Because first of all, you won't even know when he's here because you won't know who you're looking for because he's not going to have blonde hair and blue eyes and he will not be holding Sunday service. The Sunday service he will be holding is called Shakarit. And people are going to be wearing tefillin and tallit. They're going to be speaking in Ivrit. Tefillin, tallit, speaking in Ivrit. You know, okay, wow. Anyway, I like that. That's kind of cool. Uh, anyway, so that's going to be like the morning service because that's going to start at sunrise. So, yes, we will have a sunrise service. And yes, it will be like a resurrection service because guess what? Whenever you are, your soul is literally, your soul is returned to you every day. So you literally experience a semblance of the resurrection every day. So therefore, this whole resurrection Sunday thing, that just means... You're after Havdalah because Havdalah is on Saturday night and you're coming into sunrise on Sunday morning. Bezrat Hashem for the early risers. You're waking up early kind of thing. And uh, yeah, so it's Resurrection Sunday like almost every week. But notice that doesn't do anything to the Shabbat because the Shabbat is called the seventh day. And it's called the day of rest. Uh, and it's not rest as in sleeping rest. So there's all that. And then you look at the fact that, you know, Yeshua is the Torah in the flesh. Because remember, what is the Torah? The Torah is the word of God. So that's going to be kind of awkward if we're thinking the word of God is not Torah. And the Torah shows up and we're like, hey, you're not the right person. You need to go back to where you came from. And it's just like, I, I don't think you really want to be telling me that because I'm the one who created you. But there's all that to say there will be a high impedance air gap. So it's through Moshe that we'll be able to announce the redemption, i.e. the Baruch HaBab Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai. Like, so the only reason you'll be able to know in the name of Adonai, because you have to know the name of Adonai, which is the Torah. Yeah, so that's Zohar, that's uh, Midrash Tankuma. That's uh, Midrash Rabbah. Midrash Rabbah, by the way, back in Bereshit, I believe it was, no, maybe it was Shemot. I don't know. Somewhere in the Midrash Rabbah, we came across the fact that it says the Holy Spirit, a.k.a. Scripture. And it's just kind of like, what? And then it quoted a verse from Torah. And it was just kind of like, okay, I see what you did there. You just pulled a trinity on us. Yeah, because the Spirit, the Word, and the Scripture, and the Torah, or that's kind of four, but four, three, three, four. Just kidding. Okay. Anyway, but it, no, seriously, that is a trifecta where it's just kind of like, wow. So the Holy Spirit is synonymous with scripture, which is synonymous with Torah. So, yeah. So it's just kind of like, okay, so obviously Jews understand that concept. So to be led by the spirit is to be led by the word, which is to be led by the Torah. 
So isn't it really cool to think if you're Shomer Mitzvah that you're filled with the spirit and you walk by the spirit and not by the flesh? Because your flesh, by the way, is anti-Torah. Your flesh is anti-Semitic. Your flesh is anti-Yom Tov. So, I mean, that's just kind of telling right there. But anyway, the Pakod Yif Code, remembering I will remember you. So also check this out. So just going to continue on to G Shekel here. And this is, by the way, his comments. He uh, G Shekel is a guy, a gentleman, distinguished gentleman named Gadai. And he is uh, over in the India territory. And uh, he has a ministry called Bet Yisrael. And uh, he pretty much does the same thing that Ben Burton with Ladder of Jacob does where he pulls all sorts of sources together on the parsha and just elucidates and expounds, connects it to Mashiach and all sorts of get you some. So anyway, uh, that's why I like reading from him because he does a really beautiful job. So if he ever gets to hear this, just want to let him know. Yasha Koach, you're amazing. Um, so yeah, so he keeps going. He says, Mashiach ben Yosef. It says, is the process of redemption. A redemption in the likeness of Yosef, as it is written, and called his name Yosef, saying, Hashem will add me another son. Bereshit 30, 24. Then in the end of days, I will have to give way to a more final concept, Mashiach ben David, who is said to have the soul of Moshe himself. As it is written, Hashem will raise up a prophet like me to him you must hear. Devarim 8, 18, 15. The essential function of Mashiach ben Yosef is to prepare Yisrael. The essential function of Mashiach ben Yosef, a.k.a. Mashiach Yeshua, a.k.a. Memtet, is to prepare Yisrael for the final redemption. I.e., I tell you, all authority has been given over to me. I need you to go out to all the nations because that's the word he uses there. All nations to the Goyim, go to the Goyim, go to the non-Jews, teach them everything I taught you and make them Talmudim and immerse them. And that immersion that he's talking about just so happens to be the same immersion that happened at Mount Sinai and Parsha Yitro, which is called conversion. So go convert non-Jews into Jews because they're going to need to be circumcised of the heart, which leads to circumcision of the flesh, because one who's circumcised of the heart totally is on board with getting circumcised in the flesh. Unless you're a woman, which you're already past both of those steps. But anyway, uh, so, yeah, anyway, so all that happens and. You are to immerse them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Ruach HaKodesh, which is the names that are encapsulated in the mikvah. There's a above, a below, and the mikvah water itself. So you literally bring those three names together in the mikvah. That's some Baal Shem Tov on uh, mikvah. So anyway, uh, yeah, so that's all legit, right? So... That's what we have to understand with Mashiach ben Yosef. And so this is an interesting time to bring this up since Pakude is all about bringing in all of the accounting. You know, last week's Torah portion was by Yekel, which is where we gather 
And now this week we're looking at what's being gathered, which is all men, (laughs) all mankind. (laughs) Come on in. There is no room to kick people out. There is no room to say, oh, well, is your mother Jewish? There is no room for that. So now it says that Michelle being Yosef is preparing us, right? And notice it says preparing Yisrael, which means you have to be Jewish because you need to be prepared for that. And there is merit to preparing people who are not Jewish. And some of us, quite frankly, logistically, you know, could possibly be that not everyone gets to convert. But the idea is to be on that path, you know, because who knows the day or the hour, right, when he's coming. So. But if you've made it up in your heart that, you know, I am going to convert and it's just like Baruch Hashem, just in time. <laughs> right. So anyway, so uh, but all that to say, you are part of Israel at that point. Then it says to put them into the proper condition to clear the way for Mashiach ben David. Something about making a highway in the wilderness or something. And that's from the Sadia Gaon on Emunot. It says, as our sages understand from the words of the prophet, it is Mashiach ben Yosef who will fight Edom, Ser, or the evil inclination, which are apparently synonymous. Edom is Rome, Ser is Edom, and the Yetzahara is Ser. Ser, by the way, can mean a goat, like a hairy goat which is what you're supposed to bring for the Yom Kippur sacrifice. Once for Hashem and once for Azazel. So interesting that we have two Yetzers, two inclinations within us, one for Hashem and one for Azazel. <laughs> like one to send away. And it's just like, send the Yetzahara away. But it's like, no, we don't send the Yetzahara away. We get it to be subservient. We need the Yetzahara to work. There's a whole Talmudic account about when the rabbis got rid of the Yetzahara, or the sages, I should say, which are uh, super rabbis. And they got rid of the Yetzahara, and it was like, woohoo, Baruch Hashem, Mazal Tov, come on, Lechaim. And it was like, Lechaim, kind of. Because everybody stopped working, and nothing got done, and it was just kind of like, so we don't have any offerings to bring, because nobody's raising our livestock. We don't have any grain offerings to bring, because nobody went out in the field and harvested. All we did was sat around, not sinning, studying Torah. And it's just like, that that ain't going to work. And not to mention there wasn't really any childbearing because without a Yetzahara, you weren't feeling feeling up to that, you know, no Pakude for that. So anyway, all that being said, they had to bring it back and it was just kind of like, oh, here we go again. But anyway, so... All that to say is if you wonder why Messiah Yeshua, we have to put on the armor of God (laughs) while we have to war with the flesh. It's just like because that's Mashiach ben Yosef. That's the whole thing. So if you believe in Mashiach and you're fighting against sin, it's just like, nice, Baruch Hashem. And uh, so, yeah, all that's happening, right? 
So he brings down a whole bunch of other stuff like the Obadiah 118, that the house of Jacob's fire, Yosef's the flame. Asab is the house of stubble. They're going to be burned and consumed by the fire and the flame. And then the progeny of Asab be delivered into the hands of the progeny of Yosef. Baba Batra 123b. The house of Yosef is to be a flame to consume the house of Asab. Therefore, I would not be afraid of Asab and his legions. That's from Targum Pseudo Yonatan. And yeah, so it just keeps getting out of hand over there with that. There's a whole thing about Yosef and the additional letter to his name because Gabriel blessed him with the 70 languages and the letter Hey that was placed in his name to make up for the 50 letters that would be on the two shoulder stones of the Kohen Gadol for the priestly garments. So there's a whole thing about how the the names on the stones equaled up to 50 letters. And it's just kind of like, that's because Yosef had extra name added to it. So all of that. Um, yeah. So talk about reward and all that. So let me just give you Sota 36B is where this is coming from. It says in order to make the equation work again, because it says on the ephod, there is inscribed 50 letters, two precious stones on his shoulders, one on this side, one on the other side. Upon them were inscribed the names of the 12 tribes, six on one and six on the other. And it says that um, the names of the six that remain on the other side, according to their birth, indicates that the second six were to be according to their birth. But the first six. Uh, were not to be according to their birth because the name of Yehuda came first. So there's that. And then it says, and there were 50 letters, which made it 25 on each stone. So in order to make it 25 on the other side where Yosef's name was, they had to add one letter, which was the letter Hey. And so, yeah. So, and by the way, when that letter Hey was added to Yosef, that was called the divine Yosef, according to the Midrash Tehillim on that. So that's ridiculous. Divine Yosef, like Mashiach Yeshua says. Okay, anyway. All right, so already a long way into this podcast and I haven't even touched my notes yet. Um, yeah, so let's go ahead and jump over to Zohar. All right, Zohar Pakude. Here's the rundown. Zohar 2.7. Two, Zohar Pakude 2, section 7, says the building of the world is like the building of the tabernacle that was constructed in the same manner as the world. Okay, so if you really understand that, you know, there's this whole idea of all the elements of creation being brought together. And then Hashem setting it all up, which is the whole reason why it says the first day, like if you look at the Hebrew, it's literally called Yom Echad, like the day of oneness, because everything was all there. And for the rest of the week, Hashem was unpacking everything or setting it up, so to speak. So, yeah. So why is it Pekude? We're now taking accounting to everything. It's like because. When we gathered in all the things from Vayakil, now we're taking account of what we have. And now through Moshe, it's going to be set up 
which again, Moshe is the Zadik, which is like the Mashiach. And Mashiach is the, that's why Mashiach says, I am the true vine, which that's euphemism for true Zadik. Uh, Lakute Maharon brings down that the Zadik is likened to a vine with many branches. So a true vine is a true Zadik. Okay. So everything's all set up through him. And then here we go. All right. So uh, same Zohar, Pakude. Now we're in 22. Section 216. This is one of my favorite verses. Yeshayahu 40, verse 26, Isaiah 40, 26, which says, Lift up your eyes and see who created these. L like the Ivrit says, Su marom enekum, uru mi bara ele. Again, there's that Ele. Ele is actually uh, used in our first verse of this week. Ele Pekude, Amishkan, Amishkan. Uh, you know, these are the accountings. And so it's like, Mi bara Ele, who created the these? And it's just like, well, the, in order to answer that question, look at what is the meaning of lift above your eyes. And you'll notice the initial letters of that phrase Sumarome nekum lift above your eyes is sheen, mem, ayin. What does that spell? Shema Yisrael. To who? Adonai Eloheinu. Literally the yod and hey with the vav and hey. Our God. That's who mi bara ele. That is the one who created these. Also, uh, it's important to note the last letters of Sumarome Nekum, lift above your eyes, Vav Mem Mem, is equal to 86, which is the Gematria of Elohim. So literally, Shema and Elohim have to do with who created these and where we should be lifting above our eyes. Now, the reason why this is a thing is because, again, the Mishkan is likened to the creation of the world. And it's like, who created the world? Hashem. Who created the Mishkan? Hashem. And it's just like, but I thought Bezalel did. Well, when you start understanding Bezalel, you start to see he's a very, very big, highlighted, underscored, bold picture of pretty much like a divine uh, form of a man who is creating because it says he's using the Torah in its primordial form to create like go to Tankuma on that uh, you can also look at other Midrashim and it brings it up it's just insane Zohar is definitely one of them talking about Bezalel he knew how to put the letters together to build because how in the world do you take one piece of gold and make the top of the ark you just you just can't. You can chisel all day, but you ain't going to get HD Keruvine that move <laughs> like their wings flap and stuff. You ain't going to be able to get something like that. Just saying. Um, and then. Back to uh, our Zohar Pakude over here. It says that. Let's see, I put a whole lot of extra notes in here. It says, this verse means that when the tabernacle was constructed and completed, whoever saw the tabernacle beheld in it 
what was above and what was below. Okay. Basically, you saw the heavens and you saw the earth. What is the first verse of the Torah? That in the beginning, Hashem created the heavens and the earth. That, my friends, is Ele Pekude Mishkan Mishkan. So if you see who created these, who gathered everything together and took an accounting of it, and then you saw the Mishkan, you saw all of creation, which is the heavens and the earth. That's Zohar Pekude 22, section 216. It keeps going, though. It says, you saw what was above and what was below, and you saw all that in the Mishkan. For all the works of the upper world and lower world were all contained in the Mishkan. Good night. Everything was contained in the Mishkan. So why is it all authority has been given to the sun? And why is it that Hashem was pleased to let all the fullness of him dwell in Mashiach? I mean, the letters are chalked with that. Uh, I believe that's Philippians. But uh, I could be, I don't have it in front of me. I didn't plan to say it. So sleek out for not sourcing it out. Because I got a lot of stuff on my plate here. But anyway, um, that that right there is just, that shows you divinity. If anything, that Mashiach is not just a man. The tabernacle is not just fabric and and gold overlaid wooden stuff. Like, this is beyond creation. By the way, while we're looking at that, a shout out to the Torah to Basora class. Last week, as we were throwing chairs and everything and pulling out fire extinguishers, uh, somebody was bringing up that the Mishkan was a fire hazard. Uh, and it was just kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, like the burning bush. Fire hazard, right? Because the bush should have burned, but it didn't. And we're looking at how the altar and the courtyard should have just burned down and collapsed on itself, but it didn't. The incense altar should have just burned and melted. Like there should have been just like a mound of gold as opposed to a station here, like an altar that was a square. It's just like, oh yeah, because the burning bush had fire in it, but it didn't burn. And in the midst of it was the angel of Hashem. And in the midst of the Mishkan is the Kohen Gadol, who Petuke Kotam, Rabbi Monk and all that drops that the Kohen Gadol is called the Malak Adonai, the angel of Hashem. I mean, what in the world? What in the world? Okay. So, yes. So anyway, burning bush and back over here. So it says, and we established that whoever looked at the clasps, so all these hooks that we're talking about, these decorative hooks, right? They could see in their illumination that of the stars. Because this is how the stars are situated in the firmament. Come on, man. Are you kidding me right now? All these class. So the stars are like a picture of the redeemers, you know, and it's just kind of like stars in the nighttime sky, pictures of the lights of the world. You know, we're to shine like stars in the night in this crooked and depraved generation. We are likened to saviors of the world because we are the beautiful feet on the mountains, bringing the good news of redemption. We are just Sliakim. We're just vessels. You know, we should be open faucets of water for people to drink. You know, when people encounter us who are thirsty, they should be able to get as much water as they want. Because why? Because our Amuna is in Mashiach. 
And Yeshua says, if your amun is in me, you're going to overflow rivers. Man, people ain't going to be able to drink half of the water that we are filled with. Bezrat Hashem, you know, like if we're really connected to Mashiach. This is why Yeshua says, don't worry about your words. Just open your mouth. Like if you just say, Adonai Sebtaitiftakufiyagitihilateka, just he's going to flow. It's going to be literal waterworks. It's going to be fire water just coming out of you, which fire water is Hashemayim. Eshmayim is Hashemayim. So you're going to literally bring heaven down to earth through that. So, I mean, you just think of how incredibly beautiful that is, that we could be like those little hooks and clasps that are on the <laughs> the Mishkan and we're to be likened to stars, you know, and that the fact of the star, the Kochav, which is how you say star, Kochav, uh, is Mashiach. So there's a prophecy coming up in Bamibar. We'll be reading about that in Parsha Balak Party. Balak is the actual Torah portion. I call it Balak Party. Because it's just all Mashiach. If you ever needed the Jewish perspective on who Mashiach is, study Parsha Balak. I mean, you can study pretty much any Torah portion and find it, but it's just like all in your grill like a microwave on that one. Uh, so then the other thing to understand about uh, the stars, and Mashiach is likened to the star, and we're likened to the stars. Okay, so it's just kind of like this whole picture of uh, Mashiach and Yisrael, the star and the stars. So not all of us can shine as bright as the star, but together we can. This is how you can get into the understanding of the Midrash uh, Rabbah from Shir HaSharim saying that Hashem and Yisrael are called are likened to twins. You know, it's just kind of like we can look like each other because when we all work together, uh, I believe Yokanon brought this down. Man, I'm just sourcing out so many different things that I didn't even have in front of me. But I'm just bringing you the gist of all of it. You can read in Yokanon's letters uh, at the back half of the canon. And uh, like first Yokanon, second Yokanon, all that. It says no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another. Like he literally just puts that right there. And it's just like fill in the gap, connect the dots. Follow the bouncing ball over the words at the bottom of the screen during the song. And it says, you haven't seen Hashem unless you love one another. Because when you love one another, like the whole uh, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to go to dwell together. He named my tove like Hashem loves that stuff. And he shows up, you know, literally where two or more are gathered in my name, which is the name of love because Hashem is love. So, yeah, all that. Um, yeah. So that's Zohar. Let's see. I got some more Zohar. Get you some. All right. 23, section 217. Says he opened the discussion and said, Hallelujah. Praise Adonai from the heavens. Tehillim 148.1. Come and see. This praise was said by David in reference to the secret of the holy name Yod and Hey with the Vav and Hey, namely Zeranpin. So, in other words, Zeranpin, which is called the small face or the little Yod and Hey with the Vav and Hey, or Memtet. Okay, this right here is just saying that's the holy name of Hashem. So, Mashiach saying, I come in my Father's name, I come in the name of the one who sent me. 
any of those types of phrases, um, yeah, it's basically just connecting us back to Zohar. Zerahunpin is literally Hashem. Like, Hashem is in Zerahunpin. So that's ridiculous. But it says, this comprises all of the praises. There are two praises. Oh, go figure, because there's two Mashiachs. So you have your praise in your Tehillim 148, which says, praise Hashem from the heavens. Like the hallelujah praise, right? So then it says, these two praises reflect the secret of the holy name, Yod and Hey, Vav and Hey. So there's this one, which is really two, just like the two Mashiachs. They're really one. It's Mashiach Yeshua, who is Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David. So, um... It says there is one praise, which is praise from the heavens, and the last praise, which is Tehillim 150, which it says, Hallelujah, praise Hashem in his sanctuary. Because remember, the Mishkan is what is above and what is below. So you got the heavens, and then you have Hashem in his sanctuary. So, you know, his sanctuary is the place where he chose his name to be. And that's here on earth in the Beit HaMikdash in the Holy Temple on the Temple Mount. But, you know, Hashem also has a heavenly temple. So then there's another way you can really kind of look at that. But anyway, um, those are called two different praises. So I had the big green book that I wanted to bring out. Uh, if you'll just indulge me on that. Go to 148 real quick shuffling around all right so Tehillim 1481 says praise God from the heavens when speaking of the celestial beings on verses 1 through 4, the psalmist begins with the loftiest ones and ends with the lowliest. When speaking of terrestrial, he begins with the lowliest, the lowest, and ascends to the highest. So you have the heavens, the lofty heights, his angels, his hosts, sun and moon, shining stars. And then you have heaven of heavens and waters above the heavens. So just kind of doing a little hierarchy of the celestial and then the the terrestrial so there's all of that so if you really look at the highest thing that we have in this world it's pretty much like uh let's see one two three four okay so we have the sun and the moon so the sun and the moon are the two great luminaries that would be likened to the oral and the written torah because remember the sun is a concealing of the uh the written torah and then the moon, you can actually extend over to being the oral tour because the moon is a reflection of the sun. That's why the moon has no light of its own unless it gets lighted from the sun, which is why we have to understand the oral Torah and the written Torah have to work hand in hand. Because if you had the oral Torah without the written Torah, you have really really bad solo scriptura no scriptura and then if you have the oral torah without the written torah it's just like well you better throw away half of it and you're gonna end up with a dark room because oral torah does nothing but quote written torah 
Like Rabbi so-and-so, Ben so-and-so, in the name of so-and-so said, as it is written in, you know, Devarim, da-da-da-da-da. It's just like, oh, got to throw that part out. So he said something about some verse that we don't recognize, and now he's making this elucidation. But it's just, we threw the context out. So you can kind of see how it breaks down if you have oral Torah, but no written Torah. So that's what that's all about. Um... The other thing here, so it just, it really breaks down like everything. It breaks down the angels, breaks down the host, it breaks down the heavens and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so anyway, so just wanted to snapshot that. Okay, and Tehillim 150, praise him in his sanctuary, which is Beikadcho, his holy place. Man, Beikadcho, Hallelujah, Birkia Uzo. In the firmament of his strength? Stop it. Okay, so it says, His holy place, Beikacho, is the celestial world of the angels or the temple. The verse states, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. All the earth is filled with his glory. Yeshayahu 6.3 The three holies of this verse allude to the three temples the last of which will not be destroyed. Thus, the third holy of the verse is followed by all the earth is filled with his glory, a description of the Messianic age, when the third Beit HaMikdash will be rebuilt. That is Chida, citing Rabbi Avraham of Brisk. And it also says, based on the Midrash cited below, according to which the psalm refers to the Messianic age, Chida suggests that the holy of this verse refers to the third holy temple. That's just outrageous. And then the firmament of his strength, Birkia Uzo, basically, in the firmament, uh, which is Rakia, and then Uzo, which is Oz, strength. It says, the Galgalim, which is fears that contain planets and stars. This is why we have to understand it's round, okay? The stars are round, the planets are round, okay? All the luminaries, they're little round spheres, okay? This is why the earth is round. Can't believe we live in a day and age where that is not really thought out. Uh, by the way, since I'm on this, uh, I was also further questioned, which I don't know why, but I was further questioned, so is the is the earth tilted? It's like, of course the earth is tilted. What do you think is happening here? Like, we're just spinning around, just like, oh, well, we're leaning. And it's just like, okay, what does that really mean when it talks about a sphere leaning? It's just like, it's still a sphere. So you don't have a corner that it's going to, like, lean on. But the reason why we lean is because we have a... a two poles we have a north pole and a south pole and now those create magnetic fields and it's just like so we're kind of rotating around on this ball like going around the main luminary which is the sun which by the way if you think about the sun concealing the torah and then you know how we're rotating around it our life is centered around the torah and so we should be revolving around it it doesn't revolve around us which is why we have to mold our life to the torah that was brought up by Rabbi Wolby, believe it or not. So that was cool uh, that he brought that up. But anyway, back to this comment here. It says that uh, the planets and the stars 
uh, where his strength can be seen. That's from the Radak. So the reason why it's the Berakia Uzo and why there's the spears and the planets is for us to see his strength. So I don't know about you, but knowing that there's a planet that's like how many times bigger than the earth and Hashem is just like doing amazing things with it. It's just kind of like, wow, that's ridiculous. Cause I know how much he's doing with the earth. Well, I don't really know how much he's doing with the earth, but we're a pretty big planet, but there are bigger planets. There are bigger spheres of influence going on. And Hashem has that, like he's got that. And it's just kind of like, oh my goodness. Why are we questioning who Hashem is? I mean, other than like, learning who he is but why are we questioning that he is a god or we should listen to him just kind of like i don't know about you <laughs> but i'm gonna listen to him uh also telling 150 you should know that this is an allusion to the hallel which is from the term hallelujah which means praise god and it says it occurs 12 times in this song alluding to the custom to recite the hallel on Rosh Hodesh, the first day of the 12 months of the year. Mm. That's from Beit Yosef 422. Uh, so, yeah, that's cray cray. So the Tehillim, the second phrase is likened to the Hallel. All right. So we got Hashem in his sanctuary. All right. Another Zohar drop. 223. It says, come and see the stars below exist upon what they draw from high. The stars below exist upon what they draw from the high secret. Okay, wow. So, from the high secret in Zeranpin. Okay, which is by default the name of Hashem. Or by extension, I should say, name of Hashem. So, in other words... The stars below, like all of creation, comes from that which is above, which is Torah. So anyway, they exist upon what they draw down. It says, for their existence is based upon the supernal pattern, as was already explained. That is why all the stars and constellations from the height of the firmament, Zerunpin, rule the world beneath them. From that place, grades are spread down to the stars below in this world. So there are stars beyond the stars. Man, which have nothing under their command. So the stars of this world have nothing under their command, but the stars in the higher worlds are commanding these stars. So remember that hierarchy I was telling you about from Tehillim 150? Uh, or telling 148 Sleeka that that's what this is talking about. Okay. So then it says, we have already explained that all are ruled by a higher authority about that speaks the verse. Let now the astrologers, stargazers stand up and save you. Yes. Yahoo 4713. Just to kind of give you the cliff notes on that. They can't save you. 
I mean, I don't, I didn't need to say that, but really reading just the commentary on that, it talks about how the astrologers, stargazers, they can't really see if it's cloudy or if it's like too dark on a certain day. And it's just like, so they can't really determine what's going on. So what does that really say about their power and all that kind of stuff? Oh, here, it's right here. It's uh, from Rashi. It says, uh, so the astrologers, Targum Yonatan renders it like the gazers of the heavens who gaze at the constellations of the heavens. He compares it to te, or Song of Songs 6.10, clear as the sun, and to Eov, Job 33.3, which spoke a clear word. And so did Menachem associate it with those who clarify the orbit of the constellations. He interpreted thus because the diviners are unable to determine the seconds of the day and the night until the heaven is perfectly clear to them. Micah 2 said in his prophecy in chapter 3 verse 6, it has become too dark for you to divine. This teaches us that on a dark day, the stars are sealed and they cannot divine. So in other words, they have no authority, right? So it says all, so back to Zohar, all is by permission from above. So yeah. So all that to say, we should be looking up and not down or around. And uh, so yeah, uh, what else do I got here? I want to make sure I get through everything before I index my time. I just kind of feel like I'm all over the place. Oh, forgot to say on the, the whole Pakude account that... Uh, Legends of the Jews brings down this whole thing about why Pakude, because, you know, if y'all didn't know, the reason why the Torah portion Pakude exists is because, you know, that whole thing where the golden calf happened and Moshe decided to move outside the camp, you know, back in Parshaki Tisa when it says Moshe took his tent and pitched it outside the camp and the cloud followed him and Moshe would go into the tent, the cloud would go down, and then it also said that Yehoshua ben Nun never departed from the tent. And so that was outside the camp, and the Shekinah was there, and the women would go there to pray and all that kind of stuff. So, first of all, a lot of Lashon Harab burst out because of that. One of the things is that the people saw the women going there, and they were like, Moshe is having relations, not with his own wife, but with these women. That's why they're going there. First of all, that is just disturbing on so many levels. Like, what? And then second of all, Moshe is so rich and he took it because all that gold and everything that we donated to the temple, he got it in his tent. He ain't even set the tent up yet. Like, what do we even give for? And it's just like, wow. So there's all these accusations being thrown at him because... First of all, you have to know that upon the giving of the Torah, when Moshe, you know, went up the mountain and stuff, he he and his wife Zipporah never got back together again. So, you know, hence that's why later in Bamibar, uh, Miriam and Aharon are called before the tent of meeting because they're all like, hey, you you think you're all like that and you haven't even been with your wife and we're prophets, too. We've been with our spouses and who do you think you are? And then they got leprosy. And it was just kind of like, ooh, don't say nothing about that. But yet, it's just like, so Moshe's got to be doing something. He's outside the camp. 
the shekin is over there the women are over there and it's just like where's all of the tent stuff for the the tabernacle and it's just kind of like all this stuff is going on so hashem is like all right parsha pakude let's let them know what's up let's show them where every single article every single piece that was donated for the mishkan here's where it is remember all those half shekels that were melted down here's where they are now you know that is legit when you can even make an accounting for something that's been gathered in, melted down, and it's all made one, and you can still show where it's all at. It's just like, there's nothing to show. It's all melted down into a block. It's just like, no, we can do that. So the legitness that this is, that Parsha Bakude is to dispel all accusations, to clear up any uh, fallacies that may exist in all the Lashon Hara. And again, so you have this idea that the Mishkan and the whole setting up of the tabernacle is really just a great rectification to all the deploys of our Yetzer and all of our just waywardness that if we don't have Hashem and his Mashiach, then we're just like prone to just go jump off a cliff. You know, it's just kind of like, I don't even know why we do this. And it's just like, well, we got to keep our eyes fixed and focused. And we got to uh, every day remain faithful to the covenant and draw near to Hashem. We have to we have to Mishkan to Hashem every day. Every day is a Mishkan day. Mishkan from the word Moshek, which means to draw near. And if we're doing that, if your chances are, if you're drawing near to Hashem, you are far from sin. But if you stop drawing near to Hashem, you become very close to Hashem or close to sin. So uh, if we're ever wondering, man, why am I struggling today? Why am I not really being successful and walking in, in the path of righteousness? Why am I not being successful in, you know, really being close to Hashem and upholding mitzvot and really just like fervent in my prayers and things like that? You might want to check what you've been drawing close to. You know, have you been... Yeah. Anyway, you you know what I meant. You know what I'm saying. All right. To quote the mighty hover. Yeah, you, you know what I'm saying. All right. But anyway, because um, I don't want to say it. That's that's really why I'm saying that. Because, yeah, we don't got no time for that. Mashiach is coming. Bezrat Hashem. May it be soon in our days. So Legends of the Jews is bringing up this whole Pakude thing because, I mean, gosh, man, I'm just... I know, I know, I just read the source, but I'm just like so amazed that it's Parsha Pakude because we need to clear up Lashon Hara and all kind of false accusations. It's just like, wow. So think about that. Mashiach being born into the likeness of man is to clear up accusations. You know, because it gets to a point where if we are so far from uh, our relationship with Hashem, and we don't know how he feels about us. We don't know, you know, what's he thinking? You know, what's his disposition? You know, we can we can know what the Torah says, but it's just like, but like, really, what's it saying, though? Like, is Hashem really like angry with me? Because like I said, I'm sorry, you know, and and I, I really mean it or, you know, I kind of said I'm sorry and I don't really mean it. So like, surely he's not going to like he didn't he didn't turn me into a greasy spot yet. So, I mean, am I OK? And it's like Hashem is like, all right, let's clear up all the rumors. All right, so here you go. Here's Mashiach. 
And Mashiach is, if you've seen him, you've seen me. He is my name, like contracted into a form that you can actually grasp and tan make tangible for you. Like you can see it, it'll walk around, it can interact with you, it can talk with you. Or he, I should say. And how beautiful we see he's overflowing in mercy. He's overflowing in truth and kindness. And when was he not overflowing in truth and kindness? Other than never, um, he had no time for people who were um, doing vile things with the word of God, i.e. just perverting the word, twisting it, just like the serpent did in the garden, just like the people who built the golden calf, or people who set up tables in the temple precinct, in the courtyard, and was overpricing turtle doves, grain offerings, libation offerings. Yeah, he had no time for that. I'm talking about the money changers. How in the world are you going to be so brazen to be in the temple of God overpricing sacrifices and offerings? It's just kind of like, wow. Well, that's pretty much what we do when we turn our face from Hashem and start doing our own thing. When we go, oh yeah, I know I could do that mitzvah, but I'm not going to. It's just like, do you really want a money change right now? Don't do that. Anyway, so I'm just, Pakude is just blowing my mind right now. So thank you for letting me have my moment, which was kind of longer than a moment. Here we go. Legends of the Jews. Setting up the tabernacle or the setting up of the tabernacle is what this is called. Which, by the way, you need to know the Legends of the Jews uh, frequently quotes the Midrash Tankuma, the Midrash says, Midrash Rabbah, the Makilta, especially when you're in Shemot uh, on the Legends of the Jews. Uh, and it quotes all sorts of other sources we ain't never ever heard of before. So, yeah, whenever you are around Sarshalomis who know about the Legends of the Jews and we turn our noses up at you and we go, oh gosh, Legends of the Jews, of course, whatever, you know. It's because we're just kind of like, it's not even fair to quote from Legends of the Jews because you're just bringing together so many different uh, sources and concepts. You're bringing together Midrash. You're bringing together folklore stories. You're bringing together rabbinical commentary. And it's in one place. It's a one-stop shop. It's like, that's not fair. Will you please work and actually study all these different sources separately as, as opposed to reading them together? So anyway, so that's where that loving rebuke comes from. But, you know, so Midrash or the Legends of the Jews is a legit source. But I, I encourage you, if you have not read Legends of the Jews, do not read it until you are pretty versed in the Torah portion. You know, like you've at least read through all the Torah portions, you know, like through a cycle, you know, get get some... Get some basic Humash studies down. Get some basic Rashi down before you get into this, you know. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> maybe maybe it's on an accelerated path now. I don't know. Who am I? Because, again, this whole thing about Mashiach is coming. Everything gets faster. Time goes by faster. You have less time to do things. So, I don't know. Maybe the Spirit is doing exponential work right now. I, I ain't going to even get in the way of it. So, I know, Legends of the Jews, read it. Okay, here we go. The setting up of the tabernacle. The work on the tabernacle progressed rapidly. Oh, speaking of progressing rapidly, wow. Okay, anyway, it progressed rapidly. 
for everything was ready in the month of Kislev. Now, I don't know about you, but know that the Hebrew calendar starts off in Tishrei and it goes all the way through to uh, the month of Elul. Kislev is like just a few months into the calendar year. If you really look at the the uh, the natural calendar, not the spiritual calendar, because the spiritual new year is Nisan. The physical new year is in uh, Tishrei. That's why we have Rosh Hashanah then. <clears throat> but anyway, so you're going from Tishrei to Kislev. That's literally about three or four months. Not even. Because they started gathering everything the day after Yom Kippur. So you're looking from Yom Kippur to the beginning, like Rosh Hashanah Kislev. That is the amount of time it took to teach about what to collect, teach about how to build, actually fashion it and build it, and actually bring it to Moshe. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's, I mean, again, over half the Torah is speaking about the building of the tabernacle and what goes on in it. From the garments to the vessels to all the accessories and to actually just like the whole, how do you even set this thing up? You know, so anyway, that's miraculous in and of itself when you just really think about how fast everything got done. And it's like, yeah, but they built the golden calf in like, I don't know, six hours. It's just like, okay, I'll give you that. But anyway. But it was not set up until three months later. This is beautiful. The people were indeed eager to set up the tab the sanctuary at once and to dedicate it. But God bade Moshe to wait until the first day of the month of Nisan. Why? Because that was Yitzhak's birthday and God wished the joy of the dedication to take place on this day of joy. You know, and this is the whole thing about looking at the birth of Moshe and the seventh of Adar, which, you know, set off the whole Purim story because it's just like, yeah, Moshe died in the month of Adar. But it's like, but wait, he was born in the month of Adar and the birth was seen to be more powerful and impactful than his death, because at his death, there was so much mourning. There was so much uh, withdrawal of just people remembering Torah, even studying Torah. So if you think about the birth of Yitzhak, the birth of Yitzhak was actually likened to the giving of the Torah. I mean, go back to Parashavayera and check out the birth of Yitzhak. It's ridiculous. It says the sick were healed, the lame were made to walk, the deaf were made to hear, and the mute were made to speak. Uh, you know, I mean, all these other miracles were going on. And the same thing happened in Parsha Yitro for Hashem to give Torah, like, all of that. So in other words, Hashem wanted to wait until such a time as this. And that's when he wanted the Mishkan to be brought forth and dedicated. So when you look at what does that really mean? That means Parsha Shemini, Parsha Naso, and uh, Parsha Tedzave, Parsha Pekude. Like all those different Torah portions happen at the first of Nisan. Uh, like the whole uh, dedication ceremony. So the eighth day, the whole seven days of uh, consecrating the sanctuary. The seven days happened during the month of Adar, by the way. So, I mean, man, 
By the way, we're currently in Adar 28 uh, as I'm doing this podcast. And, you know, a couple more days before Rosh Hashanah. But, you know, this is kind of the time frame of that seven days where Moshe was being the Kohen Gadol and showing Aharon and his sons, like how to do all the work for the Mishkan, like how to how to make the incense offering, how to light the menorah, how to do the sacrifices, how to bring everything to the, the Mizbeach in the courtyard, how to do the shiny labor, like all sorts of stuff, how to put the garments on. So anyway, so why is this such a crazy, amazing month of joy? It's just like, oh, yeah, because everything is building up to literally the building up of the Mishkan. Wow, I just added to the Legends of the Jews like on a swerve. So anyway, just a little. OK, so back to Legends of the Jews now it says, and God wished the joy of the dedication to take place on this day of joy. The mockers of Israel, of course, to whom this was not known. See, chances are if someone's upset, if someone is mocking, if someone's spewing all sorts of Lashon Harab, they're just simply uninformed. So can we really be mad at uninformed people? We can be frustrated or irritated with them. But the reason that they may not know things is because they may not have thought to seek it out or they may not even care. It's just kind of like, but let's just realize that's typically the case. Uh, so, <laughs> Wow. I was just thinking about what Rabbi Griffin said on the Aliyah day, where it's like, if you don't have haters, then you're probably not making it or something like that. Uh, anyway, so he said that quote like a few times and I was just, I was so taken back, like in a, in a good way that he said that. Cause it's like the whole hate is going to hate, you know, or, you know, what's the matter with you? You've been drinking hater aid this morning. Like it's kind of along those lines. I'm like, my rabbi is really talking about haters right now. And he talked about it because he got this from a kosher restaurant he went to in New Orleans. And it's just kind of like, oh, my gosh, like this guy. OK, but anyway, fun stuff. So the mockers, they did not know all this. and They made fun of Moshe. This is what they said. Of course. Is it possible that the Shekinah would rest over the work of Amram's sons? So now they're talking about his daddy. Like, what are you doing, people? And then it says, in regard to the Mishkan, Moshe had to suffer much besides from the fault finders and the wicked tongues. So Moshe was a man acquainted with grief. He was suffering. He was outside the camp. He was slandered and he was mocked, but he did not mock or revile back. Oh, wait, wait. Are we talking about Moshe? Are we talking about Mashiach? Yes. Okay. So anyway, so yeah, it says, if he showed himself upon the street, they called out to one another, see what a well-fed neck, what sturdy legs the son of Amram has, who eats and drinks from our money. The other would answer, dost thou believe that the one who has the construction of the Mishkan in his hands will remain a poor man. It's like, of course, he's loaded, right? And then it says, Moshe said nothing but resolved as soon as the tabernacle should have been completed to lay an exact account before the people, which he did. So, you know, this is the cool thing about us as Lapid. We are mocked and we are just... You're not legit Jews. You don't your conversions, whatever. You can't marry our daughters. You don't come to our synagogue. We're not going to form a minion with you. Like, 
whatever. If you hear any of those things, just understand Moshe was acquainted with that. Mashiach was acquainted with that. It's all around building the tabernacle. So, I mean, what are we doing? We, we're out in the field working the harvest. So what, what's other people doing? Uh, is anybody making proselytes today? Because if they ain't, then we don't really have time to listen to them. And chances are, if they were making proselytes, they wouldn't say those kind of things to you. They'd be right next to you making proselytes. Okay, but anyway, I digress. I digress. It says, the other would answer all that kind of stuff, right? Can't remain a poor man if you're going to be in charge of construction tabernacle. Of course, look at all that gold, all that silver, right? Moshe said nothing but resolved to lay an account as soon as everything's complete. I just said that, okay? But when it came to giving his account, he forgot one item of 775 shekels, 775 shekels, which he had expended for hooks upon which to hang the curtains of the Mishkan. So he's laying an account of everything and he forgets these 775 shekels. All the stuff for the Mishkan is right here because it's been sitting there from Kislev to Nissan. So he's getting it, getting ready to put it all up. But first, he's got it all there, all staged. And he's going through making his accounting and he forgets one thing. So it's like he's looking it over, right? And it says, Then, as he suddenly raised his eyes, literally, as he suddenly sumarom and nekam, lift above his eyes, or, you know, back to that was our Yeshiyahu 40 verse 26, the whole Shema drop. Or let's go with Abraham was getting ready to sacrifice Yitzhak and Hashem says, stop. And Abraham looks up and there's a ram caught in the thicket. So now Moshe is over here going through everything and he's like, ah, I forgot something. And he lifts above his eyes and he looks into the thicket and sees. No, I'm just kidding. He looks and check this out, y'all. He saw the Shekinah resting on the hooks. You ever play those? Uh, no, you probably don't. Well, I'm judging. Sorry. Those computer games where it's like the I Spy games. And you're like looking at this one scene and it's like all these hidden treasures are there. And it's like when you find what you're looking for or if you're trying to get a hint or whatever, it like highlights the item that you need and it's just like, oh yeah. And you click on it, right? Pretty much that's what happened. Like here is like, you're looking for 775 shekels. Let me help you out. So Zerampin like drops in because the Shekin is also called Zerampin, by the way, uh, drops in and just highlights 775 shekels. It's like, here's what you're looking for. Which means that in order for us to understand what we are looking for, when we say Shema or when we're going through the Akira, like that's the that's the thing. We get to find what we're looking for when we get to fix and focus our eyes upon the Alta Perfector and finisher of our Amuna. If we're looking to ourselves, or if we're not looking at the Torah, or if we're not praying to Hashem, then we're not gonna find anything. Side note on praying. Did you know that the hundred sockets that held up all the planks for the Mishkan? Baal Haturim, the eye gouger, sweep the leg, throat chopper, humash. Like, that's pretty much what happens. You're just like, oh, my eye. Oh, my neck. 
anyway, so he was bringing down that this is corresponding to the hundred brakot a day that we should be praying. So in order for us to hold up our Mishkan, we have to be blessing and giving our life to Hashem. And remember that the planks are called the righteous ones, the planks of atonement, the ones who stand in the gap for us and make atonement. So the way you hold up your atonement is through your gratefulness and your thanksgiving and your amuna. And then that is a foundation that will hold up your drawing near to Hashem. And so if you're doing a hundred brakas a day, that's, by the way, if you do your three prayers, like the Ma'ariv, Shakarit, and Minka, if you do those three prayer services, that puts you around the mid to high 90s. So if you eat three times a day, then, you know, you should be saying a blessing before and after. So that's six. So that should cover you if you do your three prayers a day and eat your meals. Bezrat Hashem. Or if you go to the restroom, uh, there's that. So now you can see what there's blessings before and after we do things because we're supposed to, first of all, pray without ceasing. But second of all, if you're going to be making 100 brakas a day, you're going to be talking to Hashem quite a bit. And somebody who's blessing Hashem 100 times a day, chances are that's a humble person. Chances are that's a person who wants to draw near to Hashem. Chances are it's a person who really loves Hashem. Should I go on? No, I will not. Okay, but I will. Okay, anyway, so back over here to Legends of the Jews. I'm going to finish up with this. And it says, The Shekinah was resting on the hooks. Moshe saw this. He was reminded of his omission of this expenditure. Thereafter, all Yisrael became convinced that Moshe was a faithful and reliable administrator. And isn't it interesting that it, it wasn't until everything was gathered in and accounted for that all of the slandering, all of the mocking and everything was done. And isn't it so true, and may it be soon, that when Mashiach returns and the third and final temples rebuilt, we're all gathered into Yerushalayim. Hashem pours out his spirit on literally all flesh. Every knee bows, every tongue confess. Everything's all cleared up. And it's just like, oh, Hashem is one and his name is one. Because everybody's going to be like, Yeah, so like, but then it'll be all over like, None of this, oh, Lapid, you're not Jewish, and just because you believe in Yeshua, don't follow Torah. You don't want to trample grace underfoot. All of that is going to be gone. Are you kidding me? Why should we pray for the redemption again? I'm sorry. So, anyway, what do we know? What do we know? Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet Vekaye Olam Nata Betocheinu Baruch Atah Adonai Noten HaTorah Amen Shalom and Shavuot Tov Many blessings over your Shabbat